So you asked me the question about less, and I thought, what better tribute to the, less than the, the number fact that, that will not go away? Would not go away. I couldn't even realize why I was summoning that number, but there was something about the ritual of taking a phone call, which is where it all started for me. I called in to Les Levine when I was 12, 13 years old. Hi, everybody. That is 92.3 Cleveland sportscaster Anthony Lima, who first gained notoriety as Sports Boy Tony, a young kid calling into radio legend Les Levine show. More sports and Les Levine. Sports boy Tony know it very, very well. Well, he's grown up and is now a co-host on a popular morning radio show here in Cleveland with Big Ken Carmen. He hails from Chesterland. He went to West Chiaga High School, then the Ohio State University, where he earned a dual major degree in political science and also in public affairs journalism. He indeed as well covered statewide politics back in those days. He has a master's degree in broadcasting from Syracuse, where he worked in local TV, also worked in Parkersburg, worked in Columbus as well. And here in Cleveland, he has anchored news and sports on WOIO Channel 19, and he was a frequent contributor to the More Sports and Les Levine show with the late legend Les Levine. He's married to his beautiful bride, Sarah, and the father of a baby girl. My interview with Anthony Lima coming up, but first, the Cooper Foundation has been helping children and young adults with special needs since 2015. Sometimes you need a helping hand. Up next, Anthony Lima. Anthony, we've followed each other. I've known you for many, many years. Sports boy Tony, you know, intern at Channel 8 many years ago. Uh, getting on the radio as a youngster. Uh, where did that drive come from? Well, for, first of all, John, I used to, I believe, <laughs> watch your recaps. I, you probably taped them on Friday night, but then they'd air on Saturday morning, or maybe they would then replay them on Sunday. I would watch you talk about all these high school sports around the entire Northeast Ohio region. <laughs> and I was always amazed when I was a little younger, going, how does he know all these teams? How does he know their mascots? How Connor does he knew know all their the colors? mascots in Ohio. All right, well, he he had a ridiculous, ridiculous <laughs> memory of recall sure. that he would take pride in walking around the newsroom and because of his, his uh, the Wooly Bear Festival and <laughs> all the high school marching bands that would come through. And he had this ridiculous recall where he knew every single, he no did. matter what, no matter what, you go down to Canton, you go to Ashtabula, you would go all the way out to Norwalk, maybe to Toledo, he would know every single high school and their mascot. I was always wowed by yeah. anybody who could have that kind of working knowledge of anything. He uh, he he, wa he was amazing, and I guess I just tried to emulate it when I was, <laughs> you know, a young sportscaster. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I would imagine I also knew of all those because I was going to them all the time. My job was so great that, you know, I could I in in a week, I would probably be at eight to ten high schools doing pieces about various sports, whether it's the top shot putter at, at Brush High to whatever. And having lived here, grown up here, 
it kind of knew him. But that's kind of cool that you you know had that you had that memory. I have a memory of you as a kid, you know, being on the radio. That with took a, a lot of gumption. With a voice uh, a few octaves up. <laughs> I don't want to ambush your interview, but what happened to that, by the way? Because I watch local news now, yeah. and sometimes I'm a part of good question the local news industry. I do stuff uh, occasionally at the CBS affiliate when they yes. can afford W-O-O. me. W O O. Yep. But what has happened to where I don't see anybody doing pieces anymore locally? And that used to be what would set apart the local affiliates from SportsCenter, from ESPN, right. from what they used to have at CNN used to do sports. 100%. Shout out to Vince Cellini, right. uh, a Clevelander. What happened to that? Because now I feel like no stories are being covered yeah. by the local newsrooms because I don't know whether the resources are just not there or the interest or they feel like there's not an interest in return from their viewing audience. It is very sad because I always wanted to be a local TV news anchor, even before radio. Right. And even since I left the full-time everyday component like I had in Parkersburg and Syracuse and a little bit in Columbus as well, ever since I left that, I don't think that's even a part of the industry in it, most markets today. I, I, I 100% agree with you, and it's been a weird uh, development over the years. And some of the reasons are is that they may want the story to be so special, uh, it it is superseded the aspect to be able to just go out and what's the angle to it? Well, there there's no angle. This is a good team. They're a real good basketball squad. Let's say they had that feeling or a set of uh, filters on your ability to go get a piece. When back in 20-some years ago, you want to go to Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary, and why do you want to go there? Well, they have, they have a good basketball team. Oh, okay, but what's special about that team? Well, uh, you know, they got a bunch of freshmen that are pretty good. Okay, all right, are we, are we going to do that story? Well, I would have gone anyway. But mm-hmm. obviously, you know where I'm going with this. There was a kid named LeBron mm-hmm. James at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary. I don't know. It Maybe they overthink things. Obviously, sports doesn't get the play that it did uh, back in the day, if you will. Um, maybe the separation of the sports departments from the news entities mm-hmm. um, are it's not as separate as it used to be. There used to be a sports fiefdom, and you know, and then the news uh, people. So well, I it's always, a weird feeling. I always thought, John, that sports is what truly separated this market. Yeah. This market of Northeast Ohio. I've been a lot of places. I've had friends work all over the country, and I've always compared and contrasted both in radio and TV. What is different about Cleveland? And I always want to make sure when we talk about how great Cleveland is. And everybody here, it's almost like it, they pay lip service it, almost in a way to uh, be out there catering to fans, telling fans what they want to hear. I really did believe that Cleveland was different because sports was something that could lead the news here, that sports really did make a difference in people's lives more than, right. let's say, in San Diego uh, or more uh, mar- markets that is more tran- that are more transient across yeah. the country. When, you know, in Charlotte, let's face it, a lot of people moved from places like Cleveland Down and there. New York and Detroit and went to Charlotte. So those those fans are still Cleveland fans. They're right. not Charlotte fans. So it always struck me as interesting that every time I put on the TV, I see the weather leading. And it's not that weather isn't important, but I've heard news directors say, well, yeah, you can just get your sports on your phone. And I'm like, everybody <laughs> in my orbit checks the, the weather on their phone more than anything else in the world. You're so right. Yet the weather departments are eight deep. 
and they're on seven times in an hour. Yeah, never made sense to me. But, it, 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 but there it, must be a method to their madness because they're the ones that control and they know what makes money. And apparently they don't think local sports makes money in Cleveland, Ohio, where we launched another sports talk radio station because there was no competition for the longest time for WKNR, a, a, a station I used to call into yeah. when I was young, when they were 1220 and then 850. I used to call all of them. And nobody ever had the knowledge or the 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 wherewithal, the forward thinking to say, we need another sports talk radio station. And then 12 years ago, our station launched, and that's why I'm here yeah. today. Yeah, and you're doing well, you and Kenny Carmen. And, of course, it's great to have Kenny uh, at Fox 8 doing what he does each and every night. But getting back to the sports, you know, where is the market, what's going on there – Look at the look at the the success of Friday Night Touchdown. Mm-hmm. It, it it only further exemplifies your point and my point. People want this stuff. We do a show that competes against the other three stations at 11 p.m. and does very 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 well. And despite the, having Ken Carmen, it's despite still does having well. Kenny doing his thing, um, <laughs> and we thrive. And you could do a similar type show, although probably not with as robust ratings that centered around basketball and some of the other sports but uh i i just it 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 boggles the mind and um but your your point your early question is quite valid i i wish there were a way for more stories that are just about high school sports or just local stuff to get on the air uh another reason might be uh is the fact that we're doing more shows and you know we're, we haven't ramped up the amount of staff available to maybe have the time to go out and do those types of things. Mm-hmm. That could be a reason, but uh, I'm sitting here making excuses, but it's, it is your, your point as well. Think today. about when you started in the news business, Yep. Uh, how in, in local newsrooms, they not only, we, we were just talking about sports, let's go one step further and talk about news. Uh, because we're all purveyors of the news. We're all interested in the news. I think a news backbone uh, is fundamental in being able to do whatever it is, True. whether it's weather, sports, entertainment. You still have to have, you know, the basic exoskeleton of, you know, news gathering, uh, so, some some sort of understanding about all that. And we're talking about getting out to the high schools. When you were younger and in your earlier days, newsrooms, both newspaper tv and even radio am radio had newsrooms where they had dedicated beat reporters that would go to city council meetings yep. and would go to school board meetings or crime Imagine guys that. alone and do yep. you know what happened they broke big time news stories and ended up being able to uh tear the lid off of huge corruption pieces right. and that's all gone now yep. the only time you get any kind of a story now is if somebody just gives you the story like literally calls up and says hey i think we have something here Nobody is doing the type of investigative work at the level that would need to be done to make sure that we are sniffing out corruption at all levels. And so it's very sad that we we, – I love the news business. I think you love the news business. Uh, We spent many years kind of in that world, news, sports, whatever it is. And yet today it's never been more fractured, and I feel like people have never been served less of the stuff that can really be impactful in their lives. And yet you're, uh, it's never been more fertile, I think, for you and for Kenny, the amount of things that you can talk about on a daily basis. I mean, Browns being number no. one and all that, but right? Am I not right? That's yeah. why they come to us. The fact that uh, it can be at the end of uh, the feast and we can come in on Monday and talk about 
our times in Little Italy over the week and the crazy people watching that we were doing and uh, the late hours when I was single gallivanting in and around. <laughs> uh, you know, today we're filming this or we are taping this on Dingus Day. Yes, it is. Now, uh, what? how many shows are talking about Dingus Day the way that they ought to be talking about uh, that type of tribute to uh, a, a great many people in 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 this country uh, bearing the red a lot of red you're seeing a lot of red for dingus and everything the pussy willows did you know about the pussy willows no, John? tell me this we're gonna have to tell you about uh we're gonna have to pull up a wikipedia page so you understand uh the origins of the pussy willow and how it factors into dingus day all this stuff is the stuff that uh ken and i always felt clevelanders were not getting a sense of real people living working in a real environment uh, like northeast ohio and so that's why we think our radio show has the popularity that it does is because we are never told what to talk about people think we're told to talk about the browns a lot yeah okay so how much we just you, wouldn't have a job if we didn't talk browns yeah you've got so we don't need Brown. to be told to talk about the browns so how much do you plan the show then i mean can you i mean is it just like three or four bullet points and go yeah. or how, how do you work that that depends how much liquor i've consumed the night before when we're supposed <laughs> to have our phone call uh we, we ken and i do a phone call uh, every night, basically, before our shows. And because we're friends, we really would talk anyway. We really yeah. do. Uh, people think that's a put-on for the show, that we're that we're very friendly. If we lived closer, we would hang out. Sure. In fact, I would steal more of his... <laughs> is that still running? I want to make sure that's still running. That's good. That's um, fine. That's uh, fine. Uh, we, in fact, he just gave me a toy today uh, I borrowed from his, from his children. So we have a great relationship. And uh, Kenny and I talk and we discuss the things that we're going to talk. And sometimes those conversations, we don't end up talking about anything that are going to want go on the air the next day unless something emerges out of nowhere. And we realize, holy cow, we actually have a strong disagreement on this or we have a strong agreement on this, but we think it's still interesting enough where maybe some of our listeners might not agree with us. Got it. Because people always wonder about the role of – first take and debate style yeah. Hannity and Combs or the yeah. Bill O'Reilly or MSNBC versus Fox News type of theater that you see and people wonder, is it real when you guys get worked up and you're sweating and you're screaming at each other? And will you even pick topics that don't elicit that kind of a response? And to that, I say, we will try anything. It just has to be interesting. Mm -hmm. It's not interesting if the Guardians are in first place, the Guardians have been in first place for a month, and they win a game the day before decisively. It's not really that interesting to come on and just say first place. We used to joke first place tribe. Yeah. Okay, but what's the story? Right. What's the story? Is there something from the weekend that you picked up on that makes you think, hey, this is why they're going to win the World Series this year? Or conversely, this is why I think they're in trouble in the first round against the Yankees. Then you have something interesting. People right. always wonder where we come up with our, our topics. And so I think... A uh, huge rubric for us in anything that we decide is making sure that if somebody is listening at home, they care that we're talking about it. Because if they don't care what we're talking about it, unless it's a goof-off segment like Ken talking NASCAR and we're playing the music theme from Deliverance, all right, that's a little bit different. But we can make people find that interesting because Ken is such a talent and uh, we can have fun with that. But well, that's how we come up with the things we're going to talk about. And then you could also have people uh, taking it to another degree. I know, like, our buddies uh, uh, Andre and Zach mm -hmm. with their pod, and and Zach would always joke, okay, let's have the baseball minute. And in <laughs> some ways, he's, you know, he's denigrating the, the, the appeal of baseball in this town, but yet 
they know there's other yeah. subjects or he knows there's other subjects that are they're equally passionate about that they can talk about and have yeah. given take on. It also matters uh, how much Zach wagered on that baseball game the day before <laughs> and how interested he is in it. Look, the Browns are always going to play first and foremost in right. this town. They're the one team that can... Is your Browns talk yeah. better when they're bad? You know what? We get asked that a lot of questions. Personally, I want them to be really good. Set aside the fact I've been a diehard, lifelong fan, um, you know, my entire life. Now, right. did I did I care more about the wins and losses when I was younger? Absolutely. I was more emotionally right. uh, involved. But yeah, the radio can get really good when they lose unexpectedly, or if the season doesn't go the way that the expectations or the fan base thought it would go. But I got to tell you, 0-16, 1-15, 3-13, 3-13, or whatever those years were, that was not fun. Yeah. That was not fun. Um, that got repetitive, and I think a lot of people tuned us out. I do get I do get charged with that all the time. Like, you want them to be bad. It's right. better radio. Don't get me wrong. There is some compelling radio when they lose heartbreaking games like only the Browns can lose. But that does get a little rote. And uh, I, I would not advise any sports talk radio host to ever root against the team that they're covering um, because then fans see through that. Fans truly see through uh, hosts that are genuinely rooting against the teams. And I think it does happen. I've absolutely run into people in various markets who they are so jaded by people that work for the team um, because there's always those relationships that go behind the scenes that really fans should know nothing about that. Yeah. I mean, if I get screamed at, and it's happened, if I get screamed at, for a report that I have or a commentary that I have about a, a local team in town, that needs to stay off the air. That cannot ever, if a young broadcaster is listening to this, uh, that should never bleed out. Yeah, and you you don't want to both, the show. you don't have an axe to grind uh, no. or for your own personal case on this to get it on get on the air and rip the the team that had one of their executives call you up and. Try to read you the riot act. I and, mean, just leave, and, just keep yeah. doing your job. And and look, they they have their jobs to do as well. And they are always teams are always playing damage control to some effect. But listen, the reality is, you know, ask uh, Brian Windhorst when when things went really well for the Cavs and he ended up winning a championship. He got to write a book. Jason Lloyd got to write a book. We make more money in appearances and endorsements and partnerships and. Uh, our ratings go up when the teams are good. I always, I, I try, I try to pound that home to people. Like we are desperately rooting for the teams to do really well. Playoffs are such a great for the station. Forget about us. Right. For the station, they are a huge economic driver of revenue because we can go longer into the season. We'll we'll be having Cavs watch parties. You know, our station will be doing pre and post game. We need the teams to do well because if it goes the other way and they're bad for too long, it becomes an afterthought. Right. Uh, we always talk about the lost generation of Browns fans. I mean, that happened. I mean, the Browns have numbers. They can tell you in their business office. They can tell you how their ratings plummeted and how some fans never came back. Nobody wants these teams to do poorly. It is not good for the city. It's not good for anybody involved with these teams. You know, uh you, you you cut your teeth, uh, you know, calling into radio stations as a young, as a youngster. You went to school for it. Yeah. Uh, the direction I'm going here is: do does one have to go the conventional route? Do you do you have to go to Syracuse or OU or Kent State or uh, Northwestern? 
to, to be, you know, thought of as a serious young, youngster to do broadcasting? Or can you go about it the, the non-conventional way? No, I wish I had YouTube. I could have saved <laughs> about $200,000 had I have had YouTube for free when I was young. <laughs> uh, it depends what you want to get out of it. Um, I, I think I get asked all the time if there is this roadmap to ESPN, and I tell them that is the worst way to go into the broadcast world is to think there is a this this plotted uh, destination or uh, directions to get to that destination by doing this this and this. Look for me, it, what I did worked for me. It, it allowed me to have a really fun career and ended up didn't start out that way and didn't didn't really get that way till quite recently. But now it's a it's been a lucrative career for me. So it's been rewarding in all the ways that I wanted it to be rewarding. Uh, no, I do not think you have to, you have to pursue that. You have to go like for me, I ended up getting my master's degree. I went to three different universities, started out at OU, then transferred to Ohio state. And then I uh, thought I was going to law school. I really did. Yeah. I had applied to law school, got into a couple law schools locally, and then on a whim decided, you know what? I still want to do this. I sure. still really, really want to do this. And law school will always be there for me at the end of the day, when I wash out of the industry. When I say something I'm not allowed to say on the air, and then if the law schools will still take me, then we'll pursue it. Um, I try to tell young young broadcasters, like there's literally nothing holding you back from being able to get a degree in something else that would be important to you, that could be a fallback, right. and then also pursuing broadcasting on the side, whether it's a student radio station, if you do go to college, if it's student TV, student newspaper, uh, being involved in clubs that cover sports. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of kids at John Carroll that weren't even in the broadcasting program and then end up being able to do whatever they want on the side because of the amazing resources that the internet can give you. Um, there's still to this day a lot of, you know, what would you call them, heritage broadcast outlets like CBS or, you know, the local affiliates or the newspapers. They're still, for the most part, requiring college degrees. Kind th- of the conventional, yeah. I think that's going to change down the road. I think they'll have no choice but to change because the industry has transitioned so much over the last 10, 20 years. But I also thought it was important for me to get a journalistic background. And there was a time in my life where I was covering politics. I was doing that at Ohio State for the State House. I was down at the State House as much as the Columbus Dispatch was, as much as uh, the Cleveland Plain Dealer was there, and I was breaking stories. I had uh, an amazing internship opportunity uh, to go work for the Dayton Daily News. That who knows that could have that could have led to the New York Times, but then I ended up getting some crappy internship with uh, <laughs> Tony Rizzo and John Telich and Dan Coglin and. What? That rescued me from the world of news and politics. Give me an idea of your your train of thought when you walked yeah. into the building back then. I, I saw Danny Coglin coming in on Friday nights, not remembering which football game he covered, but he remembered the colors of the teams, and that was important on the broadcast. And he sold that damn game as much as anybody could possibly sell a game, whether or not he knew any of the players, the coaches. He knew the sport they were playing, and he knew the colors, and that was what was important. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll still still want to. People always say, I always laugh about this, though, when they when they make their decisions at some point and they say no regrets. And I'm like, I have every regret in the world every day. That doesn't mean that I don't like what I chose, but I always will have the wonder of what if I would have chose this? It's like a choose your own adventure book. And I always think the people that say they have no regrets, 
secretly have lots of regrets, <laughs> but they need the self-affirmation on a minute-by-minute minute basis that they made all the right decisions. Fortunately, think, with my wife and child, I have no regrets over there. Just there uh, about 80 feet from us. Yeah. So your beautiful wife and I'm your... I'm contractually your, obligated to say that. Uh, that's right. <laughs> this is awesome. This yeah. is great. We are in uh, your your beautiful home here on the west side of Cleveland. And uh, uh, you're, you're, how do you just day in and day out, how do you deal with the, the weird hours? And yeah. also, you got to go to games here and there. I mean, I'm not every game, but how do you, you deal with that? You know what? It it, it kind of became normal. It was weird going from TV to where you're up, uh, you leave work at 11.40, you get home past midnight, and then you're up till 3 in the morning. Uh, and and the, the workout schedule and when you're single, just the, the going out and meeting, meeting the other uh, broadcasters from around town. Uh, and you all commiserate about why you chose this terribly underpaid, you know, profession at that time. Like that had that had its ritual and that kind of got into a dangerous place for me. So then I get into radio and the hours totally flip when I get the morning show with Ken. All of a sudden, you know, it's it behooves you to kind of be in bed by nine o'clock every night. And it's like, well, sports don't even end earlier than nine o'clock. I mean, now we have a pitch clock, so maybe we can get some baseball <laughs> games finished by that time. But everything ends after 10 anyway. So that was a learning curve big time and trying to figure out what time it made sense for me to get up in the morning. Right. I mean, Ken's a freak. Ken's getting up at 3, 3.30. I mean, that's that's what time the local news anchors get up for the morning show. They, they're getting up at 2.30, 3 o'clock. For me, that never really worked for me. I still get up pretty late. I, I, I have that time set for 4.44. <laughs> And I stroll in, sometimes unkempt, non-showered, and uh, then we get right to it. And we start, you know, really hammering out. Uh, every show has what works for them, but it's been a, a huge departure uh, from normalcy for a long period of time. But now it's become normal, yeah. and I can't imagine having any other hours, especially now with a with a young one. I can't imagine, you know, having any other shift. So hopefully the powers that be that are listening don't want to don't want to <laughs> either a format change or a a time change because that would be very detrimental to the way of life right now. And you, you really can't fake the chemistry. I mean, it, is that probably the number one edict in in a in a in a good show? There's a there's a fair amount of friction because you got you got to agree to disagree or whatever, but you still have to have respect for the other person. You you guys really seem to have that chemistry. And we didn't. For I would say as friendly as we were off the air, he was living in Tremont when even before we started the show and I was living there, we were hanging out, we were drinking, we were going to games, we were best friends and our show sucked for about a year and a half. I mean, honestly, it sucked for a year and a half because that chemistry did not make its way. We were we were almost um, playing characters gotcha. of people that we were not. And we, you know, trying to overshadow each other and trying to prove who knew more, who was funnier, who was more interesting. And once that stuff went away, I think we were like resigned to the fact we were probably going to lose the show. That's when I think. Were there uh, rumblings? Uh, did Roger Brown write anything in The Plain Dealer? Oh, Roger Brown, my God. The consummate a... media pro. Nobody covers the media anymore. Nobody does. George Thomas will write an article here and there once a year, and that's it. I miss those dogged media reporters who would throw out all the rumblings about which shows could be on ice and 
which anchor could be in trouble and, you know, which which television personality might have had too many beers in between the 6 and the 11 <laughs> o'clock news. I miss that kind of reporting, John. But you were in some of those articles. We were yes. worried about you. You know what? Way back in the day, there were tons of media reporters, <laughs> and a lot of stuff happened that never got in, uh, like like the alleged shooting of a big-time uh, broadcaster, a fake shooting of one. I won't give any names. Okay. And how a, another well-known anchor person was running down the middle of Euclid Avenue screaming that so-and-so was shot. None of that stuff. I'm sure it got out in you know in the <laughs> underworld uh, underpinnings of, but none of that stuff ever got into the into the papers. It's crazy. What would they would they share those anecdotes at the theatrical back in the day? They probably when stuff did. was really going. See, that's what's missing. We need we need to, to know the because. Boy, the, you, you could tell him, John. I mean, this this might have predated you, although I don't think so. I saw the cars that some of you drove <laughs> over there at uh, Dick Goddard Way off, off 55th in the marginal. Uh, boy, were were people in local news they were paid, paid very handsomely. Well. Where did all that money go? <laughs> yeah. What happened? Yeah, it's uh, been sliced up a little bit, and <laughs> it's been ferried out. Maybe that's overseas as well. I, I don't, I don't, I really don't know where where it's going. See, and if you want to take this podcast to the next level, John, and I know you have a, a devoted following, you get some really good guests uh, at times. Uh, you start naming names on some of those stories. You got to wait for them to die. Is that when you can name? <laughs> Probably. Them? So when Coquinas passes away, and we're not we're not rooting for anything. No. But but if you know, that's when we'll find out the Coquinas well, story. Well, you know, that's Rizzo. Rizzo apparently is the only guy that really knows the story <laughs> allegedly, and we will see as far as as that's concerned. Uh, who, who uh, early on you were mentioning, you know, getting the business, calling into radio stations. Les Levine was a great influence of you, was was he not? And obviously, even to this day, uh, although obviously, you know, he passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Great man. Uh, unbelievable. You know, your mind will work in crazy ways. Um, I don't care what you do for a living, but it is weird the powers of your mind and your ability to drum up something that you haven't thought about in years. So we got new phone numbers at our radio station, and Ken was out on a Friday, so I was the one handling the phone duties, and I'm giving out the phone number, and I'd given it out correctly, brand new phone number. Um, the five, seven, eight days are over, over there at the Halley Building, unfortunately. <laughs> and so we have these new phone numbers. I gave them out all morning correctly, and then at like 9 o'clock, I said, uh, the numbers to get on board, uh, 5750403, and I just kept going, and I gave out the topic, and then they go, ho, oh, ho, ho, ho. And Owen was running the board, big country. Owen does a great job with us. And he said, what number was that? And I said, what? Do you, what? I said 474, and I give out our normal number again. And he said, no, that's not the number you gave out. And they played it back for me. And I said, 5750403? I go, I don't even know what number that is. In the moment, I could not think of what that number was. And then all of a sudden, my phone blows up. Jeremy Levine texts me. That's Les's son, who, who now works with us. Uh, I had my sister's old boyfriend from 20 years ago texted. He goes, Tone, that's that's Les Levine's number. I started getting all Les Levine's dial-in number when I used to co-host with him or I would just host for him when he was out over there at Time Warner and then it was Sports Channel before that and it went through all the different iterations, Adelphia, yeah. and that was the phone number. So you asked me the question about Les and I thought, what better tribute – the, to less than the, the number fact that, that will not go away. Would not go away. I couldn't even realize why I was summoning that number, but there was something about the ritual of taking a phone call 
which is where it all started for me. I called in to Les Levine when I was 12, 13 years old. And that was our relationship for many years until I moved back to Cleveland and we, we became friends. I mean, would go out with him, go out to dinner with him and his wife and, and, and hang out with him and got to know his son, Jeremy, who now works with us. Like there were a bunch of people in his network that just over the years that I had met that we'd talk about less and everybody had a less story to tell. And I, I, I thought, wow, it is crazy how your mind will work that you'll recall something like that. It shows you how special, you know, that mentor, he was a mentor for me. I have no problem. I had a, a few different mentors, but he was definitely one of them. And, you know, that shows you that that'll be in there. It'll be in there for life. And and those experiences of calling his shows. And then you had to pinch yourself down the road when I was hosting the show for Les Levine. Yeah. I mean, hosting the Les Levine show was such a very cool experience. So that's the kind of stuff that I think is awesome. We need more Les Levines, really original characters, right, Anthony? I mean, people yeah, that, that just the, kind of follow their own path. He created yeah. content that yep. he aired. He bought stuff. He wrote stuff. I mean, he hustled. This guy hustled right to the to those last days when he was dealing with his, uh, yeah. his illness. He was a sales guy. Yeah. And he taught me a lot about the business of all of this. You know, you take it for granted. When you get hired for a TV station, a radio station, you're thinking, oh, I'm just here to make my way to ESPN and and, and become a national sports talker. And that's that's what I'm going to do. Everybody thinks that. I thought that when sure. I got into the business. And that, those are the wrong reasons to get into the business. And uh, eventually, you know, you meet somebody like Les, who's like, no, you're only on TV or radio because those stations have sponsors and those partnerships are paying your bills. And the minute that those relationships go sour or you're unable to entertain fans and steer those fans to those sponsors, then you don't have a business model and you won't have a job unless is somebody who got laid off, furloughed, format changed. I mean, that happened to less probably 10 times during his career. He used to joke about all the stations he folded. I mean, that (laughs) that became part of the routine. But a guy like Les, he could always find work and he could always find a home. So it really shows that you have to be valuable, not only to the listener, you have to be valuable to so many more people in a market like Northeast Ohio because if the people that buy into you quite literally with their money, I mean, their hard-earned money that their businesses make, business is so hard. I heard Jim Rome talking about this um, at a a sports talk convention, that Baird Sports Media convention. A a few of the clips made the rounds, and and man, it was like I was listening to Les Levine. Jim Rome was saying the same thing. Jim Rome was saying, yeah, I made all this money, blah, blah, blah. He goes, but at the minute you lose your sponsors – You've got nothing. doesn't matter if you're creative, if you're witty, if you're funny, and some listeners think you're funny. If you don't bond with those businesses that are working day and night, grinding to make money, and then handing that money over to a guy who talks sports for a living, why? To grow his business. And if you can't help them do just that, then you don't belong in the business. Les taught me that so early, and I was so so grateful to be able to learn those lessons from Les. Yeah, he was. The, he really was the best. Rest in peace, man. What a, what a, a huge presence he was in our media uh, landscape um, here in Northeast Ohio. You've been doing, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, play-by-play commentary, that mm-hmm. type of stuff on sports. What's that been like for you? And you, you kind of just have to keep yourself open to many opportunities, right? Uh, it is. It it is such an awesome experience. I mean, to go 
to a football game and do the thing that you've done every, every, first of all, every one of my friends since we were young. I mean, they were all doing the same thing I was. They were, you know, talking, talking about games, acting like they're Keith Jackson, you know, yep. was, was, was one of them when we were really young. And there was so many great broadcasters and you wanted to sound like them and get the chance to actually do that. And so to be able to actually do that on Saturdays, I'm at a college football game. Now, is it at the horseshoe in front of 110,000? No, it might be, you know, over there at Akron in front of maybe friends and family. But you really gain an appreciation for that craft and how hard it is. Now, I know it's a little different because if you're doing it at Ohio State, you might have a team of, you know, 100 people trying to help you. Yeah, all those researchers and stuff. And it does help. But to get to that level, you got to be able to prove it on the level of where I'm at, which is still kind of in, you know, and I'd done high school sports and, and, and done all that in Parkersburg and did play-by-play and did color and did sidelines and did wrestling. I know nothing about wrestling. I did wrestling. <laughs> I did lacrosse. I knew nothing about <laughs> lacrosse. But you, you kind of make it your your own. And so I was I was getting saddened by the fact that I thought it was never going to happen in Cleveland. So weren't the opportunities. Um, we, we actually, pound for pound, we probably broadcast less high school and college events in Northeast Ohio than a lot of other markets. It's crazy. You travel anywhere. And for whatever reason, unfortunately, we have uh, the classic productions and, and the Bacons. Yeah, the Bacon Brothers. But outside of that, there are not a lot of opportunities here. So fortunately, I, I was able to get in through Dustin Fox and Michael Regai, uh with with ESPN. And I've been with them three years. COVID is actually what got me into it was Regai getting sick. And I was able to fill in, and they liked me enough. They let me come back. They liked me enough. They brought me back the next year. And so this year will be year four nice. of, of doing that. And you really gain an appreciation because when I would sit at home, and you know me, John, uh, very critical at times <laughs> of people who had positions that I, uh, I strived for, man, I realized, yep. well, this is hard. Boy, did I sound terrible doing those first games. Super critical. And, yeah. and, you know, you realize how much work needs to go into it. Um, it is a whole other animal, especially football. Football is as hard as any of them because so many different players, especially yeah. Division One college football, uh, so many trick plays, so many guys. You And you are way up there. you got to figure out how to work the binoculars and figure <laughs> out who has the football. I, I never realized that people at home have a better view than you do because <laughs> yeah, right. they're just looking at the screen you're way up there trying to decipher jersey numbers on, you know, little linebackers that weigh 200 pounds, 190 pounds in the MAC conference. Uh, it's a, it's a little harder than you think it's going to be, but man, is it rewarding? Game gets over, you finish, and you're like, that was awesome. Yeah. As long as you didn't screw it all up. <laughs> well, you and I have uh, chatted before about podcasts in general. You and Kenny do one, mm-hmm. and and there really are two different things. Right? You can't just say, oh, I can do a radio show. And then I can do a podcast because it's more long form. Yeah. You know, a lot of stuff gets in that probably you don't have on a regular broadcast. What ones do you listen to uh, or or are influenced by, maybe, if that's the word? Yeah, I am huge into comedy podcasts. Okay. Uh, the one I cannot stop listening to, and anybody that's heard me in Cleveland knows I have an affinity for Saturday Night Live. Maybe not so much today's version, but I still watch everyone. It's just become a thing I do. Uh, I listen to, and they uh, they actually are with uh, Odyssey in our podcast okay. network, but I'd love to get them on at one point, but David Spade and... Dana. Um, uh, oh, my God. Uh, Dana Carvey? Dana or? Carvey, yeah. They are incredible. And I love listening to the old stories, and they always vibe with the comics that come on. 
uh, that's one of my favorites. Like that, that is definitely emerges one of my favorites. And I, I've been listening to Bill Simmons from really day one because yeah. I read his columns. When I, Ken always makes fun of me. His columns were like long rambling podcasts. They really, really were. They really were. And he he wrote like nobody else. Probably needed about five editors. But I didn't care. I was in college. I I I just experienced the internet for the first time. Right. I remember sitting there at Ohio University. And they gave us these these computers, these desktop computers, big bulky desktop computers. And they, I would always laugh because they would say, "It's free. You get a free computer." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. I think I'm paying 25 grand a year for it, but it's a free computer." But I would read his lengthy columns. You had so much free time on your hands. I didn't care that they were 5,000 words. I'd sit there and consume all of it. And I never before, other than like Norm Chad, did I read somebody who infused pop culture with yeah. sports with biting commentary, with sex, with all of that stuff, all rolled into one. And so I've been listening to Bill Simmons ever since he debuted his podcast. And his podcast was horrible at first, but I was starting to get to know somebody behind their persona, which was just the written word and occasionally showing up on ESPN. And now, I mean, what did his podcast get sold for? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, Bill Simmons is... (laughs) I think he owns five homes now in Los Angeles. It's crazy. A uh, kind of nerdy sports writer ends up becoming that. But uh, so I, I'll listen. I'll listen to him. Um, a lot of comedy. A lot of a lot of comedians. I mean, any time. And really, I'll just kind of cross reference who's having the comedians I like on, and kind of cycle through that. Yeah. And then Joe Rogan. I haven't listened to Joe Rogan as much over the last three years. He's gotten very very political, and I don't. I'm I'm a political student. I have a political science degree. I love politics. I just don't, at times, like the people that he has on talking politics. Okay. And people will say, well, what, because you don't agree with them? And, yeah, a three-hour podcast is someone you don't agree with when there's no fight fighting back. I cannot stand, and this goes the same way when Bill Maher, so I love Bill Maher's podcast, but when he has someone on that disagrees with him on everything, not interested. I love, he had Russell Brand on last week, and they got into it. I mean, got into it on a number of, th- that's a podcast I'm in heaven. I love that because I know I know they're being genuine. Right. I don't think there's a grift there. I'm hearing real points of view and guys that like each other's company because that's those are the people I like arguing politics with in real life. Yeah. If 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 you're just agreeing with me and we're having drinks or uh, or or if I got to hear two people that agree with each other on everything, I, I, this doesn't interest me. I, I, I want I want to have a little bit of a fight because me on a political spectrum, I'm a little more to the left. People say I'm a lot to the left. But if I'm sitting there talking with a lefty and I'm listening and I'm like, man, that's way too left of me, I'm going to give it back to him. I have to. Yeah. I can't stand listening to pods where guys are just in full agreement with each other. It just yeah. is, You know, I've heard uh, like Ben Shapiro. I don't agree with anything about Ben Shapiro. But if he has Bill Maher on his podcast, I'm listening. 100 percent. I'm going to listen. And I'm going to see who gets who gets the edge, who has the edge in some of these debates. I loved uh, back in the day, Bill O'Reilly used to debate uh, John Stewart, and they went on a, a debate series. They went around the country. I'm like, what a novel concept! Right. Two guys who independent thinkers who, who, for the most part. That that's exactly right. And they both have their agendas. We all have our agendas. Don't let anybody tell you they don't have an agenda. Everybody has their agenda. I love the fireworks of two guys who can back up their points. Who get into arguments can can weave in some humor in it to to let everybody calm down a little bit when they get yep. their blood boiling. Those are the types of uh, uh, podcasts that I enjoy listening to. You know, the weirdest thing about Rogan to me is that 
here's the guy that's got the most listened to podcast, basically, in the whole podcast realm. And everybody that has a book on podcasting, find a niche and get into it and then be true to that niche. Well, he's got comedians on. He has uh, fellow podcasters. He has Andrew Huberman, a yeah. neuroscientist, mm-hmm. on Peter Atia. He's got uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's got actors. Uh, you, you know, Mike Tyson, there, there's, it's like all over the map, but yet he brings in so many people. It, that's what blows me away yeah, it, about him. Yeah, it's, it's incredible what he's built. You want to, I talked about Bill Simmons, and people always wonder, like, what what is the value, the intrinsic value of these podcasts? And I just think it's for anything. It's like going to a concert. It's like uh, listening to the radio when I used to hear people talk about Howard Stern, and I couldn't get out of my car. That was like the ultimate who's still at it still doing his thing yeah and and he does really it's just the interviews he does now that that seem to get people the most engaged but that to me everything that is working when it comes to entertainment now it's experiential you hear about experiences if you go to a concert do you have an experience or are you just listening to the music you want an experience there's a reason why people go see shows like Taylor Swift at Brown Stadium. Brown Stadium's not going to have good acoustics. Yeah. You're not going to you're not going to walk out of the concert going, "Oh yeah, it sounded great." No, but you want the experience. And if you can have the experience sitting in the 500 level watching your favorite artist, then that's something that's going to stick with you. And you'll pay and you'll do that again right. in in 5 years, the next time that comes around. That to me is what has become a, a great podcast, a great radio show. Um, it's all becoming the same. I mean, it's all content that's going to be around digitally. I mean, almost all this stuff. Uh, going to a comedy show, it's do you have an experience? And I'll, I still remember, like, there, there are runs that I go on where, where I, I remember hearing, you know, Joe Rogan said this to this person, and it made me laugh. And, it, like, that's an experience. And that, when, when you're coming up with content, whether it is a podcast or whatever it is, if you can have something that sticks with somebody that they can remember it, that is always the most flattering thing to me doing a radio show is when somebody said they knew where they they remembered where they were when we said it. Mm-hmm. I mean that there's no better compliment to somebody who wants to entertain no matter what level of entertainment it is. How do you like just having notoriety? What uh, w- w- give me your impressions on what that does to you? And the reason I ask this, I was just listening to a podcast. Um, it was Dak Shepard talking to David Letterman, mm-hmm. and David was saying how nice I, how nice he felt after he retired. Mm-hmm. When he then he started to do the show where he had my next guest, and he would you know interview uh, Michelle Obama or whomever, and he he enjoyed the the little rise that he got by doing those shows, and it, and he came to realize that was some of the biggest boost to his self esteem being on TV every night. Mm-hmm. And you're on the radio every morning. I was on the tube every night. Yeah. And uh, in, in some ways, maybe this is the reason why I continue to do things like the podcast, because I, I enjoy the little bump that it gives me just, you know, being involved in the media and the, the playground that I've played with for so many years. But getting back to my long winded question, your, your, your thoughts on notoriety, fame, so-called fame. How do you, how do you, well, how's well, that resonate boy, with you? Boy, a little different coming from you, John Telich, because... <laughs> I mean, what what the shares of local TV news in the 80s and 90s compared to today, the amount of televisions that were tuned on. I mean, you were. We were you on. You are a, a of- celebrity. You couldn't go anywhere without people knowing. And 
Not to date you, John, but when you started, there were two channels. There were two channels, and one was the emergency broadcast system. The and other was John Tellich on Fox. C- so, uh, CBS. CBS, so, yeah. Or CBS, yeah. So everybody knew exactly who John Tellich was. Um, I, I, I am fascinated by one element that stands out above all else when it comes to notoriety. Where are the genuine interactions? That's what I'm in it for. Okay. Genuine interactions. And something is off because I fully – fully admit that on social media, I play a bit of a character. I, can I say dickhead, John? I, I don't want to <laughs> contaminate your broadcast. So I'll say it one time That's and that fine. one time only. That's fine. But at times, that is me on social media. Had a few drinks. Browns are going down in flames on a Sunday. Uh, some of what I had anticipated Tweet had gone down. Out, here we go. And now I got to let people know it's got to be a fun victory lap. And then I got to deal with the repercussions, right? And it is hatred. And it is hatred at the highest degree because you got a lot of people that are very upset. Maybe they've consumed some alcohol and they're not happy. And then I get a lot of that torment, but it's what I invited. That's what I'm in it for. But I, as long as I'm, not, I'm never lying, I might I might exaggerate a little bit. I'm never lying. But These you're are upset, my points you're of upset. view. Yeah. But yet here is the disconnect. All the people that hate me on social media or the people that hate me from hearing me on the radio, these people don't exist in real life. When I'm out and about, because the notoriety that you bring up, people are so nice. People are so nice. People give me uh, FOP cards. People wanna <laughs> wanna invite me to the to to speak at a function. Well, or you a were the gala. Italian man of the year I, for one. Yes, time. Yeah, I, I, on. lucrative speaking engagements. I mean, these are things I get invited to. When I go to Cavs games, I mean, everybody, because I'm more of a basketball guy yeah. when I'm walking around, everybody's saying hello to me, especially if it's a playoff game. My God, how much fun are we going to have against the Knicks? But yet, where are the people that hate my guts? So part of me thinks, well, not everybody can like me when they meet me. So are these people that are meeting me, are they just being kind in person? Which is a very nice sentiment. Like you secretly hate me. But it's not but a real be- sentiment. But it's not a real sentiment. So there have only been a handful of times in my life where somebody has confronted me and all five, they had had too much to drink. And three of those five, it got kind of awkward. Two of those five, we were able to handshake and then later on, you know, maybe become friendly in real life. But it is interesting that I know there are people and I give people plenty of reasons to hate my guts for my sports opinions, but it doesn't manifest itself in a real life. So then I'm wondering is 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 their interaction not genuine? Do they not really hate me? Is the social media just part of the fuel that provides them some entertainment too? Because that is is so interesting to me that, you know, if Johnny Carson, let's go to the highest level of show business. The best there was. Johnny Carson out and about in Beverly Hills, do you think he got any hatred? Maybe from a Clevelander for too many Cuyahoga River jokes. Yeah, right, right. I don't know. But that always was interesting to me that people are very nice in person. As far as like, do you get recognized everywhere? Really, if I'm in my lane, if I'm at a sports event, yes, I'm getting recognized by everybody. If I'm at a bar downtown, I do get recognized a lot. But if I'm at the library in Bay Village, no. I don't know if there's not the crossover (laughs) where people are just told they got to be quiet in the library. I'm not sure. But I I really, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the airport, I'll see a lot of people. Gotcha. But the grocery store, not a lot. 
So then it cuts you down to size, John. You realize I'll never be John Tellich. Because okay. if I can't Stop. if I can't pick out my produce and get recognized, <laughs> I have failed in my career and I've not reached the the lofty heights that John Tellich has gotten to. <laughs> you you kid and I kid as well. And it always I always got a kick out of people saying when I retired, he had no ego. They were so wrong. I mean, you cannot exist in the media <laughs> landscape anthony without having some form of ego just i it, i think it just comes with it you, I, you, you I enjoy think, people coming yeah. up and saying they like you or they watched your show or your station is better than that station or that I, there, there is ego involved i was thinking about this the other day i went to church easter mass we went to a local uh church and it was uh, it was actually a terrific experience it was the who's who i saw some browns executives there <laughs> Uh, and I thought to myself, the priest that is talking, because I have this weird, this weird fascination with public speaking, that it's something that I've always knew I was going to do, whether it was going to be sports or being a lawyer, whether I was going to be a courtroom lawyer, which is there, there's like yeah. four of those in the country these days. Everything gets settled. But I have always been enamored with people that talk in front of people. So I was listening to the priest and he even said, this is my first ever Easter Sunday Mass. It's the first one I've ever done. And I, I expected him to be nervous after he said that. And I thought maybe that was part of that was part of his conditioning, conditioning himself to kind of ramp up. He did an excellent job. He didn't screw up at all. He uh he was he was very fluent. He did a terrific job and he, he kept the audience engaged. And then I was thinking along those lines, like, he's gotta have some ego too, right? You gotta have an ego. You gotta have an ego. You are delivering a message that you think you're the person to deliver that message. And now 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 just going through this with you, I'm going to have to talk to him at some point and and <laughs> and maybe try to get him to confess to me. But I don't think it works like that. I think anybody, whether it is uh performing, speaking, communicating, um whether it's a, a person making real estate deals, maybe it's a person selling medical devices. I think to be good at anything you do, I think there has to be some baked in ego that doesn't mean that you don't have self-doubt because i've got a i've got plenty of self-doubt I've got tons of that. uh but i think it kind of it's the yin and the yang i think it kind of balances out and so the ego thing is always interested to me i've been called narcissistic Boy. and i'm like man i don't know how how 100 percent of people aren't narcissistic about especially something nowadays everybody life. holding a cell phone everybody right? well and 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 you know to some extent Anybody can become an influencer overnight. You can you can open up gifts and new toys with your kid. Have a YouTube and you channel can become, and you can be a millionaire. So I think I think God, God, if you were to ask, I would love to see a survey. If you were to ask for incoming freshmen in high school, what do you want to do for a living? Influencer has got to be close to the Wait top up. now. Used to be fireman. Used to be a lawyer, uh, lawyer yeah, yeah. cop. And yet now, I bet influencer is probably up there among all the the top choices. Final question: First team in Cleveland of the top three to be the to be a champion. Who's the next one? With the Cavs being the first in for so long. I think about this all the time, and uh, you know, in football, you always now the way football is constructed, you can go from worst to first. In two years, you can have an incredible playoff run and then never be heard from again for 10 years. I, I, I laughed when people said, oh, Cincinnati, they're going to be here every year. No, they won't. That's not the league. 
because of the salary cap, because of injuries, because of ego. I mean, Philadelphia gets World a Super changes. Bowl, wins the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden the head coach, Doug Peterson, has a book. The defensive coordinator writes a book. All the players now double their salaries. Like, it, you understand why it's tough to be able to keep this thing going. So if it were just the sport in a vacuum, I'd, I'd go with a football team to be able to do it. But there's something about the Guardians that I can't see this whole run of Terry Francona and Antonetti and Chernoff. I can't see this whole run not being rewarded with a championship at some point. There's just too much correct, too much right that they have done from being able to do it on a shoestring budget, from some of the best scouting and development over the span of a decade in, in, in recent baseball history, they and plus superstars. They've got Jose Ramirez. Uh, they might have an infusion of money here. We'll see what happens. The Bally's contract, if that offsets some of that. But I just feel like there's some magic in the air. And I normally don't believe in hocus pocus mm-hmm. and all of that. I'll have to ask that uh, priest that I saw talking yesterday. <laughs> but I just would be surprised if 50 years from now we're saying – the Terry Francona team didn't win the World Series in Cleveland. The, the Cavs, the Cavs now have superstars. You need that to win a championship. I just think that might be five years from now. It might not be now. It's when Evan Mobley fully matures and, and materializes. Uh, right now, I, I have to say the Guardians. Okay. I would say that as well. And I want to say it's been a real hoot. Was this any fun for you? This was fun. I don't know. You 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 were giving me looks. I, I thought <laughs> I thought I was sabotaging the podcast. I wanted to Not bring out the this dirty side. This is fun. I could see you as an attorney though. I really you think could. so. But first of all, you you're so light on your feet verbally. You you really are, Anthony. You can handle yourself. If you if you were to just be dropped into the middle of a courtroom and they give you like three points for this <laughs> side versus that side, you could talk the judge, you could talk the, the jury into a conviction, if that's what you want. <laughs> I don't know. I was always always thinking defense attorney. I have too much compassion for these uh, these terrible individuals. Maybe that's the problem. But I, I appreciate it. This is fun. This, this is, is fun. This, again, somewhat John, John Tellich, one of the first – by the way, nothing against Riz and nothing against everybody else. I mean, Tim Taylor wore my tie one night. Uh, Wilma Smith refused to wear my tie. It's a different story. Tim got a little wine, I think, of spaghetti sauce. Got some gravy on there. I don't know, in between – the newscast, but John Telch was the one that actually took me, showed me how to really edit t- tape to tape. By the way, talk about giving me skills that did not age properly. <laughs> yes, really. Because I think it was a year later we were done with uh, tape to tape, <laughs> exactly. linear broadcasting. But either way, so this was uh, again another pinch myself moment that I got to be able to have a, a long-winded conversation with one of the greats, one oh. of the great all-time broadcasters in Cleveland sports history. You're the man. Thanks, buddy. All right, thank you. Thanks very much to Anthony Lima for a great chat. And I always know when I'm talking to Anthony, he's interviewing me just as much as I'm trying to elicit information from him. It was great to see both Sarah and their beautiful little girl as well. 
best wishes to the young family. And thank you for listening to this edition of Tellage Talks. I hope, of course, that you'll check out my other podcast that I have on the Press Play Podcast Network. It is the Guardians of the Land MLB Podcast, where we check in every couple of weeks and see how the Cleveland Guardians are doing. And we also have interviews with newsmakers associated with the Cleveland Guardians as well. And if you have any suggestions for this podcast, Tellich Talks, or the baseball one as well, jrtellich at yahoo.com. That's my email, and I shall respond to any suggestions you have. So thanks very much for listening. We'll catch you the next time around on Tellich Talks.